It can't be that bad, oh, 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 it can't be that bad. John Crickfalusi, a uh, known pedophile. Um, <laughs> he, known to you. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, he uh, threw out the term, you sick little monkey, in one of the Ren Stimpy episodes. And uh, Nickelodeon was pushing hard not to use it. What um, word? A sick little monkey. Sick little monkey. But why so, is that exactly. controversial? I don't understand. Be- well, I mean, think about it in the worst ways. I mean, just like when but I. But that's s- if you're thinking about any. But but I mean, just like sometimes when I make a joke and I don't even mean it in a way, and then you're just like, huh, I see where you're going with that. It's uh-huh. it's the same thing. Yeah. Right. Like maybe and, standards and practices just evolve through the years. Yeah. I, at one point, it doesn't matter if. The intention is there. I think it's the reception that dictates, especially oh, in today's in today's society. Reception is more important than perception. I would even say. I think the way you, I think the way you react to things on TV or or that you hear is way more important than even how you feel about it. I think people like to virtue signal, and you know, people like to make <laughs> a make a sign that they're standing I up think for what's right. A or lot of it has to do with assimilation culture as well. Right. We all want to be on the side that is um, correct, politically correct. And and we would not want to be found dead on the side where we don't want to be the offensive person. And so we'll be we're easy to be the people that is. And I'm speaking generally. Obviously, you can disagree if uh, if it it doesn't side with your own opinions. A lot of trolls out there. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of uh, individuals that are like, uh, no, 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 no. I, I didn't say that. Like they are being we're all. But I think somebody tiptoeing. I think somebody who's not afraid to tiptoe. Somebody who's not. I think sometimes, yeah, it is a troll. Sometimes it's somebody who, like me, likes to kind of like be be the. Be, everyone likes a jerk. Nobody likes an asshole. But I think there's a lot of people out there who just um, don't like what what like the PC culture is standing for, right? I mean, I don't think somebody like like a Jordan Peterson or a um, God, what the hell, the guy from Monty Python's name. Terry Gilliam. <laughs> uh, good pull. Um, uh, uh, Eric Idle, Graham the, Chapman. The whole thing is Michael like Palin. how this idea of political correctness is what hurts us more than oh, not saying. John Cleese. John Cleese, thank you very much. Uh, political no, correctness hurts us more than just saying what you're trying to say. And I've, I've we've talked about this in the past yeah. off mic a million times. I'd much rather you say what you're trying to say instead of using frilly language to hide behind your your blankest beliefs. Well, it's like uh, the term African-American. Um, if you're talking about someone who's black, they might not come from Africa. Yeah, they could have been from Haiti, Haiti, Haiti or Jamaica, um, Honduras. Jamaica. Yeah. Um. So, like, no, I'm not African American. I'm black. Yeah. That's how, and a, this is coming from a white guy too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep prefacing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, I just want to uh, cover all bases. Don't forget uh, it. Don't at me, bro. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Whatever. My no. I think I think political correctness to a point, just like manners to a point, like everything. In moderation. There's no reason for you to go around spouting off the N-word every time just because you think oh, it's cool. Oh, please don't. Right? Please don't. But but there's one thing to like, well, I'll agree to that. I'm I'm actually I'm actually gonna like kind of you know, I, I think I I I don't know, I can't even defend the other side of it now, right? Because it, it's the the hardest part about political correctness is when you try to defend not being politically correct, you can very 
clearly see the reasons why people need political correctness, right? You yeah, can very yes. clearly see like, well, I don't see how a woman could be offended well, by saying dumb bitch. And you're like, oh, what wait, it is, actually. what, what, and we'll get to the movie. This is a, a movie <laughs> this episode. Attacked on at the end or something. Yeah, this is not this highly is relevant. Whoa. Uh, this is this actually somewhat relevant Sel- to the movie. Yeah. And we'll, we'll transition into it. But I do want to. I, I could justify how it's relevant. Absolutely. <laughs> I, but I do want to um, uh, add on to what you were saying with, of course, it's it's you can see why we do need political correctness when someone's defending the other side, when people are saying things that are politically incorrect. But what fucks us over in cancel culture is the overcompensation. The swing back. To just, kind of correct people that are politically incorrect. And now we're trying to just cover all of our bases. It, it's just like what we're um, – go ahead. Let me ask you something. Um, so one of my favorite terms uh, that I – I like to use while raging in video games is cocksucker. Mm. Um, how do you guys view this term? Like when you hear the term cocksucker, what comes to mind? Somebody who sucks cock. Yeah. It's just like someone. It's, it's, it's do right you there find it as a um, homophobic form of? No. Yeah. No. No. Exactly. But some people consider that a homophobic whatever. I'm like, no, anyone could suck a cock. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when growing up. I can as- name five women right now. <laughs> I won't because this is a public forum. When I first heard that term, I associated it with hookers and whores and prostitutes, all of which are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think about it. Think about it. Think about the worst person saying it in the worst position, right? I think if you're trying to figure out how somebody could be offended by a word or how somebody could be like, for us, right? Because we're all on the side of like, well, I don't think cocksucker is that bad. Yet we do understand how somebody could be like, oh, that's that's offensive. I think we can all three of us can put ourselves in that mindset or put ourselves down that path of logic to figure out how somebody could be offended by that. But then at the end of the day, for me, yeah, I don't give a fuck. So here's the thing. Like, I, I'm aware of that mindset. So, like, if I'm in a group of people or an improv scene or whatever and I want to say cocksucker, I've now um, I, I've gone to the term cock goblin instead because <laughs> I feel like I that's love less that. of it. Is that better, though? Uh, I think it's... See, that's that's my whole thing about euphemisms. Are uh, euphemisms better? I think it's funnier. That's, <laughs> well, because, that's, that's a different topic. That's yeah. an improv thing. I, I don't know if it's better, but it's like it's like saying apple... Or it's like saying cake and pie. I think they're equally delicious, just uh, different flavors. Well, but it's not like saying cake and pie. Cake and pie are two different things. They're made differently. They're exactly. constructed differently. So it depends on how deeply you're going to dissect the, if the someone, word. If someone's allergic to apple pie or whatever, I'm not going to serve them apple pie. I'm going to serve them the cake instead. Yeah. If, if I yeah, have but, an but, inkling but pie, that... But pie isn't a euphemism for cake, though. Nobody says, oh, I got a wedding pie. You know what I mean? Where, whereas mm, cock, whereas cock gobbler or cock goblin, goblin. goblin is is an active euphemism so that you're not saying the words cock sucker, right? But is, that's why you're saying the different word. No, instead. you're no, using it as a euphemism. I think he's he's. But you're referring to goblin, not necessarily a gobbler, right? Right. But but like the point a is he's goblin you, made of. Co- but you're using it as a euphemism to not say the word cocksucker is my point. Right. Well, uh, so, I will so, I will flip a coin in my brain on saying cocksucker or cock goblin. And more likely than not, just because my V-chip is slightly on during improv shows, um, I will go for the more PC. So you're saying your body is a Honda Civic. Yes. And your V-tech just turned on (laughs) so you can zip around that. That's for all the car guys out there. Nobody in this room, apparently. <laughs> oh, man. Like, Stick it with yes, my Honda Accord, dude. Honda Civic. Uh, well, dude, somebody out my, there is laughing. My Toyota Corolla just went over 300,000. Can I just say right now? Yeah, that's awesome. Have you changed your transmission? 
Because uh, you're at least a thousand miles late. At least a hundred thousand miles late. Uh, let's get to the movie episode. <laughs> Speaking uh, of driving. Um, David McEwen is here in the studio. Ladies and gentlemen, please That's welcome. Right. Begins with a D, Dave ends McEwen. with an N. There you David go. McEwen. Our very special guest. Thank you for returning, dude. Would you like to uh, introduce the baddies to the show? Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. There you to go. ICBTB TV. Ooh, ICBTB TV. That's a lot of what is, letters. What does the TV stand for? Uh, television. Nice. There we nice. go. If you're watching that. the nope. YouTube uh, mm-hmm. version of it. Right, y'all are on YouTube. Yes, please watch no, us on we're YouTube. On YouTube. Uh, yes, before we do continue, um, baddies, if you did not know yet, we've been putting out all of our episodes on YouTube now. I so... didn't realize this until like a week or so ago when really? I plugged in. Yeah. Okay. Then I guess we should be. Uh, hey guys, plugging it more and more on these episodes. Yt YouTube. That's a that's a mouthful, or shall I say, a goblin? I just drove my car into oncoming traffic listening to you say that. Like Jesus, I'm so sorry. Uh, Too many letters. But yeah, um, this is a movie podcast. We're doing the movie episode right now. We are. Um, and David, irrelevant. You brought us to a. uh, You brought us a movie today. I did bring you a movie today. Uh, And and for the people looking, yes, I'm gonna show it right now. There we go. Fear and Loathing. And yeah, that's a tough font to read. So it says Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's the movie where we watched the baddies. This a is a, a classic. classic. An absolute classic. It's one of my favorite movies. This was a huge movie for me, especially growing up. You know, being a a kid in, in the modern day, I think everybody likes to have a, a movie or something that like... How old were you when you first watched it? 17, right? 16, 17. I hadn't... Had I was like, 18 or 19, yeah. I hadn't yeah. had like my my drug experimental phase, right? What that every twenty year old goes through. Um, so a lot of seeing all the stuff was kind of like, oh shit, I didn't realize like people do a lot of drugs. Like I've seen Scarface do a ton of cocaine, but I never thought somebody's gonna do a myriad of yeah, drugs. Today I'm gonna do mescaline and ether and this and yeah. that and this. We had and then, two bags of grass, adrenochrome, <laughs> which is fake, oh, right? A, apparently, uh, yeah. Yeah. it is yeah. fake. And then also go sit at a bar. Like that was the other thing that blew my mind constantly about this film is like a lot of times they're like home base mm-hmm. and we'll get into the film now i do want to preface based i didn't this was my first time watching it as a 27 year old this is my first i and this came out decades ago I, and i've known of it for so long i've seen that uh the classic movie poster of johnny depp's manipulated head yeah and i've done no oh. research on uh, on it at all until after i'd seen the film david over here has brought a lot of paraphernalia uh, having to do just hella bongs and like <laughs> needles and shit, which would be and very he also, relevant. He also brought a bunch of notes for the film too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Also brought, two notebooks, um, like always. They call David David two notebook McEwen. So we watched. Did we say the name already. Uh, Fear yes. and Loathing. We watched Fear and Loathing in Las in Vegas, Las Vegas. Yes. which is a semi. It's it's considered Gonzo journalism, which it's just something that I had to learn about. Uh, I will say this. Um, because I didn't know about the term John, 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 Gonzo journalism uh-huh. before this film. Um, but Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is Created it. a failed version of Gonzo journalism. Because hmm. the whole concept of Gonzo journalism is um, you you cover the story, but you're also part of the story. Like a, a better example of Gonzo journalism would be Hell's Angels, uh, another thing that Hunter S. Thompson, Thompson uh, Hunter S. Thompson is the author of both Hell's Angels and Fear and Loathing. This idea, Christian, of gonzo journalism is, you're t- as whereas journalism is supposed to be a non-partisan, non-biased form of telling the story, mm-hmm. gonzo is you're telling it 100% from your oh, point of view. Oh, it's very subjective. It's very POV yeah. journalism. From the little research that I did about this film, that's what I, I learned. That 
obviously Johnny Depp's character in this movie was based off of Hunter S. Thompson. Correct. Being a, a being a perfectly a journalist yes. that is going against the grain, not necessarily. Uh, a true libertarian, and honestly, yeah. Hunter S. Thompson is the greatest American we've ever had. Not an objective fact. journalist, but a, a purely fact. subjective journalist um, during a very controversial time. Right, this was uh, a few years after. Well, was this in the 71. early seventies? The seventies, yeah, yeah, yeah. like when, right when, after the hippie phase in the sixties. It was 60s, right uh, when all the hippies cut their fucking hair and got a job, bro. Like crazy. this was right around the time when everybody figured out, like, okay, we're either going to double down on acid and become Charles Manson, like, or we're going to cut our hair and go get a job. The way I like to think of it is, if you watch Easy Rider, nice. then the sequel, the spiritual successor to Easy Rider, the is next fear decade, yeah, the next Vegas. decade in, in, in times. Yeah, um, let's just run through the nitty gritty. Me and David both have a million bajillion things I got to say. Notes, a lot of quotes. Uh, I have plenty of things to say about Hunter S. Thompson, who's a huge person in my life. Me too. Um, and now Christians, because Dude. I also brought a sheet of acid for you to do. Yeah. Uh, I brought Here's a your bunch half of masculine. Of the sunshine acid. Thank you. <laughs> and, I'll take uh, it right now, mid episode. Ether, as far as I know, yeah. is what helps Pine your Pokemon bring their <laughs> PP back so they can fight longer. They also bring your MP back in any Final <laughs> Fantasy. Final <laughs> Fantasy, for sure. But uh, apparently, it's also a real thing. This <laughs> Up yeah. Myth in that they they out of an American flag bandana, which is my yeah. favorite thing to do. Like that that they do drugs out of the American flag bandana is one of my favorite things. Dude, yeah, they do drugs off of any. He has an American flag through like every. So it was like a butter knife and cocaine or something. Knifing, Straight up, knifing is a pretty common way to do drugs. We'll, we'll, a butter <laughs> knife. Let's, let's jump into it. Fear Loathing in Las Vegas is rated R. Shocker. Uh, released in the great year of nineteen ninety eight. Midterm elections. <laughs> <So, laughs> Runtime of one hour, 59 minutes, or 119 minutes, Christian. Thank you. Uh, it, that's not... 159 is not 119 minutes. How much? An how hour and 59? Oh, he said oh. an hour and 59 minutes oh. is 119 minutes. Oh, never mind. I, I will eat my own words. Eat them. Go ahead. Let's see you eat <laughs> oh, these okay. words. Actually, I do have the... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it has a rating of 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. 50%. 50%. Either love it or hate it. Uh, a 41% on Metacritic, a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and would you gentlemen like to guess the Google users? 86. Now, I wish I could play this game, but I had seen it already, so I'm not going to guess, so it's only going to be David playing this well, game. 86. David is incorrect. Christian, will you let him know? 89%. That oh, I was actually... 86 is my guess, my my laughing No, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Don't backtrack. You said 86. I'm not... Line. It uh, could have changed from when he last saw this. So no way. Did you watch this recently in preparation I, for the I watched episode it last night? Okay, so I took some heavy notes. It's like he pushed really hard Here on the you pencil. You are with it. <laughs> you <laughs> took a marker. <laughs> um, synapses coming at you. Right at oh, you. Raul Duke is, and his attorney, Doctor Gonzo. Hundred nineteen minutes. Dry. That's what I. <laughs> <laughs> he really worked hard to what? try and correct you. <laughs> hey, these oh, notes were taken great. 10 years ago. I'm going to use them 11 years ago. What? You took notes for this movie 11 years ago? Truth. You want, I'll read David. Okay, well, hang on, hang on. We'll get there. We'll, That's we'll, ridiculous. Get there. we'll get there in a second. Raul Duke and his attorney, Dr. Gonzo, drive a red convertible across the Mojave Desert to Las Vegas with a suitcase full of drugs to cover a motorcycle race. As their consumption of drugs increases at an alarming rate, the stoned duo trash their hotel room and fear legal repercussions. Duke begins his drive back to L.A., but after an odd run-in with a cop, he returns to Sin City and continues his wild drug binge. Now I will say my plot description that I wrote on uh, March 31st, 2009. 
while covering first the Mint 400, then Policeman's Narcotics Convention, Raul Duke and his attorney experience the evils that searching for the American dream can bring, or at least in Las Vegas. <laughs> now, baddies, I feel like if you were a newer baddie and you didn't hear the first episode um, with David McEwen a few months ago, David is... That was episode 44, very bad thing. <laughs> Really good at plugging things. David, this is the spiritual successor to that episode. You are one yeah. of the truest movie buffs that I know. You have been taking notes on movies for no particular reason <laughs> other than your own satisfaction. Fact. Um, for over a decade now. Apparently. And you're bringing, you're really probably one of the best people to actually have as a guest on movie podcasts because you come very prepared. Mahalo right back at you. Um, so, man, you came through with a synopsis that you that made is. yourself. But um, let's let's dive deep into this movie. Um, I like I said, this is my first time watching. Yeah, this. let's let's hear. I mean, yeah. me and David could talk about this film until we're blue in the face. But I, I really want to hear somebody who've never seen this film. Fucking disorienting to Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, yeah. What are your first? Uh, you know. So jumping into this, I didn't want to do any research prior to watching the film because I wanted to watch the film and just have my own opinion on it. I didn't want to be spoiled for anything because I know it's a cult classic and it's been out for a while. I should have done some research <laughs> before this fucking movie. Yeah, I think it's a deep a dive rabbit hole. I think that's yeah. a general rule. I would think a lot of times we make that mistake. We should have learned from Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. It's hard to go <laughs> in. It's hard to go in with no information. You need basic information. I should, yeah. Yeah. But my, a big, you should have at least known like who Hunter S. Thompson is. A big fear of mine, uh, yeah. liking well, did movies. Did you loathe it? Did I, I fucking love this? And I fear it in Las Vegas. I a big fear of mine is to spoil shit for myself being a fan of movies being a fan of video games like i've the the internet is so saturated with information at this point if i were to type in just the title i'll be spoiled uh, with the ending of the film already and i didn't want to be spoiled with this and but i should have at least known that this was based on a real person fairly nonsensical and it's not like there's a twist where it's like and his mom murdered him you know what i mean like that that i could see and i and i understand you're thinking for me I, I worry about like spoilers and stuff, especially for big things. Like I'm a big James Bond fan, yeah. so it's hard for me to watch anything, even like the trailers, because I feel like that gives away too much. Um, but I think generally, I, a lot of times I'll watch stuff or read stuff, and then by the time I'm sitting or watching a movie, I forget. Like I'm just so enwrapped and so involved. It's not until later where somebody was like, sorry, I ruined the red Corvette for you. And it's like, oh, yeah, you you did tell me about the red Corvette. But like I, I truly almost don't care if people like ruin things for me because you'll still experience it on your own because anytime i watch anything even when i watch goodfellas for the millionth time i like to pretend like it's the first time as Mm -hmm. far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a game that's what it's good movie good movie it's a perfect movie anyways this is also i think a very good movie it is very um i i want to say iconic but that's not the word i want to say i want to say infamous yeah, I guess infamous is a better word for it. It's a one-off. It's so original. It's so it took, particular. It's hard to quantify it. It took forever to make. It oh, spent so, so much time in development hell. I'm sure. Like, originally, it was like going to be made in the 80s. and With Bill, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando? Yeah, Marlon Brando was supposed to be Gonzo. Oh, and, and then Jack Bill Nich- Murray? Jack Nicholson was supposed Shit. to be... Hunter S. Thompson. It went through like three different Hunter S. Thompsons yeah. before uh, finally Terry Gilliam and but Terry uh, Gilliam, Johnny Depp um, and, and, and I think Del Toro. Hunter S. Thompson pushed for Johnny Depp. 
Hunter S. Thompson and John Depp yes. ended up becoming really good friends through they the production of this close. film. I know it was a good choice, I'd say. Uh, I 100% agree. I think yes. even, and we had mentioned Bill Murray also plays Hunter S. Thompson in... Where uh, the Buffalo Roam. Where the Buffalo Roam. A movie I still need to see, but... You know, I, I, I haven't seen it, but I have read a couple of things about Bill Murray's portrayal. Is a lot of people still... Well, one of the fun facts about that film is when Bill Murray found out that Johnny Depp was doing this film, he met him and was telling him, he's like, hey, so you get got, ready for some crazy shit. He told him to be really careful. And he also told him, be very careful because by playing this character, you'll find yourself still playing this character 10 years from now. Very much like yes. how Jim Carrey um, broke really himself. <laughs> broke himself by uh, yeah, who, what's Andy, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman. Andy, doing, by doing Andy Kaufman. He channeled but Andy off Kaufman. The set, tell, he, me, tell me you guys don't see Hunter S. Thompson in every Johnny Depp role from post this movie. Okay, so. I do. Yeah, like here's the thing. Um, so same with Bill Murray. Yeah. Oh God. They're both so like. So if you look at like any documentary with Hunter S. Thompson and then watch Fear and Loathing, you see like the mirror image of each other. The mannerisms that Johnny Depp gets yeah. down, the way he holds his like, cigarette, even just like oh, put the, the things back. One of my favorite things about this movie that I think is super underrated is the little ticks like that Johnny Depp right has here. when he's not the forefront. I what know is this shit? I know it's at the end of the film. That's really good. That's a really yeah. good. That's actually Thompson. really fucking good. Oh at, my god! I know it's jumping at the end of the film, but don't when take they're, from when they're at the diner and Benicio del Toro is having like his come down, mm-hmm. th- that whole interaction oh, he's having dude. with the waitress. Uh, and Johnny, Johnny Depp's Depp just like, in the background. So good. Yeah, <laughs> fucking salting his steak, putting mustard and shit like sugar in his drink. He's just tweaking out, and that's one thing is is when you meet people who are so gacked out on anything. Anytime you meet somebody, first of all, nothing good happens after two in the morning. But anytime you meet somebody at a diner at three in the morning, gacked out on God knows what, that's exactly how they act. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how they do and what what their mannerisms are. And and if they don't have a handler like Gonzo, unfortunately his was so bad, like they're gonna just go <laughs> off the deep end like that. Like you you need I wanna talk about that scene a little bit, and I know it is jumping, but I wanna put focus on that scene because that was one of my favorite scenes of the film, and it's because Very it was iconic. the most grounded yes. scene in the entire film. And you can tell by even just the angles. So, like, a majority of the film is filmed with a Dutch angle, which is, oh, uh, it like is it, it, it's tilted, it's diagonal, it's giving you this... Gives you that tension. This manipulated build. perception of reality, which is very on brand for what this movie is. But then it brings you to this, like, halting stop at this diner where they even say this is a type of place where they uh, can regroup and uh, re- regain some energy um, after fucking going through so many drugs. And you can't even get a break there because it's heartbreaking. You can see the fucking damaged waitress going through another shitty night that, these that she sees two, all the time. That she sees all the time. And that's the worst part. This is not he, out of the norm. He I, did it very casually, but I knew our peace was going to be broken. Yeah. Well, you're great. You have a great Hunter S. Thompson voice. Um, so good. One of the things I want to mention about that scene is it's almost to me like, it's funny that you mentioned the Dutch angles because the other thing that I noticed is very um, foggy and bright in any other scene. That's the first scene where even yes. though it's bright outside, it's very muted colors and very down to earth. I wonder if there's this moment for Hunter S. Thompson in this night, because this movie takes place in like, what, two days or whatever? In this night, Something like that, yeah. Uh, we think, who knows how long he passed out for. Um, <laughs> we think... That I think that might be the one time that we actually see him sober. 
I think because we we see him or like, like coming down at least for sure coming down. But we see him like snorting stuff, and we see him like do, putting stuff wow. in his hands. And, but I don't <laughs> I don't know if he's actually snorting cocaine. I'm wondering now and thinking oh. in my brain if he's using that same salt shaker that he's using to salt oh, the steak. Like yeah. And so now he's snorting because he's so fucked uh, up and so gassed out. Salt, salt shaker half full of cocaine that he's snorting whatever is in his hands because he doesn't even know what the fuck's going on. And the reason why nothing's neoned out or smoked out or at a Dutch angle is because maybe this is the first scene where they're actually sobering up. And then they're real because like what got me about that scene, what really got me to my core was when he's walking out of the restaurant and he like has the plate in his hand and he turns around and puts yeah. the plate. He, yeah. knows, he, he knows he's done wrong. He feels guilt. It's it's that weird, drunk, stone, fucked up feeling of like, oh, I took this too far. And here's the thing, like the real Hunter S. Thompson was kind of like that. Like he wasn't rude at all. Like um, but very brunt. He, he really loved the film. Like he would watch it like almost daily. But the one thing like he really didn't like about it was Gary how <laughs> no um, well maybe I don't know uh, when um, Johnny Depp would throw the change at the midget yes he's like no why would the hell would you do that something so rude like give him the money or whatever Hunter S Thompson is at the least a gentleman yeah he does crazy things and like there's videos of him. my favorite video of Hunter S Thompson is I think he did it with Esquire he just like took this reporter out and he's like we're gonna go shoot guns and just like built a bar outside with a mirror and bottles and and was just like all right let's start shooting and just everything ak's uh type 99s pistols everything they just started shooting shit and he's like yeah yeah so anyways johnny depp it was, in uh, this... it was a really good sh- uh shooting range that we uh... <laughs> right that i built that uh, i built i built it with my own two hands and Johnny Depp in this movie, he is so wacky. Hunter S. Thompson is so fucking wacky because he's on all of these drugs, right? And the the way this movie was shot was just fucking nuts. But even with that, because uh, Dr. Gonzo was there, that kind of juxtaposition, that contrast, seeing like they're obviously both drugged the fuck out. But what you said is that Hunter S. Thompson is at the very least still a gentleman because you hear his narrative the entire Mm -hmm. movie and that he does have a moral compass where it seems um, Dr. Gonzo has just lost his shit. He doesn't give a uh, shit about almost anything. And I wonder if that's like the gonzo journalism of it of course hunter s thompson sees himself as the hero i find that same sort of thing in how i met your mother how many times is ted mosby telling us these stories where barney's the asshole but it's just ted trying to make himself sound better yeah right it's the same kind of idea of like well i'm telling the story Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh you didn't watch the sitcom i haven't seen i've seen a couple episodes but not a whole lot but nonetheless i think i I get what you're saying though in in anyone's narrative like and you'll notice it whenever you talk to people and uh i i do i do know of individuals that will tell me stories where when it's between them and another person and the other person they are antagonizing yeah yeah yeah, they'll always be they'll speak in so much clear detail on their end but then when they're talking about the, the other person, like, uh, I'll ask, what did that person say to you? They'll be like, oh, he just said like uh, some shit, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, and, and then I said, yeah, like, don't, you know, it's so clear. It's like if they get fired, but they're like, and I told my boss, yeah. fuck you. And what's your boss like, He said I was he a bitch. He his pants. Really? Your yeah. boss said you were he a bitch? He said I was a cock goblin. You, uh, could, <laughs> <laughs> you could bend the narrative, exactly. Yeah. Kristen, you mentioned, like, he he's so fucked up in so many things. And one of my favorite things about Hunter S. Thompson is they, they published in a newspaper article his uh, daily routine. Um, and I wanted to read this to you. This is a pretty yeah. common thing. As a fan of Hunter S. Thompson, it's not hard to find his daily routine. Uh, but I just wanted to give you an idea of who Hunter S. Thompson is as a person. A couple things you should know right off the top. American here. He loved to smoke Dunhill cigarettes. Those were That was his brand of choice. Uh, and Chivas Regal was his favorite drink. Uh, and apparently cocaine was his favorite drug, as you'll, as you'll come to see. Um, so here is a day in the life of Hunter S. Thompson. 3 p.m. 
Rise. <laughs> At Rise. Fucking 3 p.m.? <laughs> Holy shit, this is starting off crazy already. 3.05, Shivas Regal with morning papers, Dunhill cigarette. 3.45, cocaine. 3.50, another glass of Shivas Regal and a Dunhill. Three, uh, 4.05, first cup of coffee, Dunhill. 4.15, cocaine. 4.16, orange juice and a Dunhill. 4.36, cocaine. 4.54, cocaine. 5.05, cocaine. 5.11, coffee and a Dunhill. 5.30, more ice in a Chivas. 5.45, cocaine. 6 p.m., grass to take the edge off. 7.05, he heads down to Woody Creek Tavern for lunch. Has a Heineken, two margaritas, two cheeseburgers, two orders of fries, a plate of tomatoes, coleslaw, taco salad, a double order of onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, bean fritter, another Dunhill, another Heineken, mm-hmm. cocaine, and for the ride home, a snow cone, which was actually <laughs> shredded ice with Shiva's Regal poured over it. Huh. At Holy 9 p.m., shit. he has more cocaine. At 10 p.m., he drops acid. At 11 p.m., he has a glass of chartreuse, some more cocaine, and some grass. At 11.30, he does cocaine. At midnight, Hunter's ready to write. At 12.05 to 6 a.m., he drinks chartreuse, cocaine, grass, Chivas, coffee, Heineken, clove cigarettes, grapefruits, Dunhills, orange juice, gin. 6 a.m., in the hot tub with champagne, Dove bars, chocolate, fettuccine Alfredo. Ooh. 8 a.m., halicone. I think that's some sort of sleeping drug. Halicone. Uh, 8.20, sleep. That's fucking ridiculous. 8.20 in the morning. 8.20 in the morning. In the morning, wake up at 3 p.m. That is a day in the Solid life of Hunter S. Thompson. I'm tired and a little hungover just reading it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's safe to assume dry that mouth. he's dead. Is Hunter S. Thompson? Hunter, he, he, okay. Yeah, so he here's passed away fairly recently, actually. Uh, 2005. Yeah. Uh, so fairly recently. But here's I mean, the thing. I remember when he died. Um, he, he, I want to say he was 62. Um, and his like suicide note huh. said he committed suicide. Yeah, he was like 62, 12 years older than uh, anyone cares or whatever. Blah blah blah. Um, and like he was in like physical pain because I think he had needed some like hip surgery or something like that. So he blew his brains out. But um, here's the Fuck. thing. So y- you don't know about his funeral or anything like that. I'm asking you, Chris. Oh, I, I thought no, that was... Chris doesn't know anything. He doesn't. Okay. He no, doesn't. No, no, no. So, and this is documented in a BBC documentary. Um, back in the 70s, how he wanted his funeral. Mm. He wanted this giant statue um, with the double-thumbed fist clutching a peyote. Um, Which on is his... the gonzo journalism symbol. Yeah, it's the symbol of gonzo. It's the symbol of gonzo journalism. And he wanted his remains shot out of the peyote and exploded over uh, his property in Aspen. Um, and Johnny Depp had it happen yeah a hundred foot hundred and two hundred foot cannon he wanted to be shot out of and i wish i wish i could list off uh what that documentary was because it's a great if you want to explore hunter s thompson just type in bbc hunter s thompson documentary i'm sure it'll be like the first thing it's like an hour long and was it to bob dylan yes uh mr tambourine man and that honestly this guy's good this guy's good (laughs) you know a lot of stuff man well here's the thing 80 percent. he knows the other 20 (laughs) here's the thing like Bob Dylan, I would say, is one of the cornerstones of like my musical interests. Wow. Like I own most of his stuff, and that's because of Mr. Tambourine Man, because of this Bob Dylan or this uh, Hunter S. Thompson documentary. It's all connected. It's all connected. You would love the Bob Dylan musical that that's on Broadway right now when oh, it comes around. Is that times are changing. Uh, or? No, it's uh, the girl from North Country. Oh, Our best okay. friend Austin oh, yes. is one of the lead characters in oh, it. Yeah. I got to see one of the early showings of it. And yeah, it lucky is, you. Absolutely. And not only that, but it shut down for the shut whole... Shut down because of COVID. Shout out to Bob Dylan. That, uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways. It's great. Go listen to it. Uh, Highway 66 Revisited. I Six, think 61. 61. Excuse me. 
which Perfection. is a reference to another folk song. I want to say it's Highway 60 Revisited. I'm not great on that one, but... Hey, I will take your word for it. But this is not about Dylan podcast as much as I wish it was. This is a Johnny Depp podcast. (laughs) And he just starts singing it. Welcome to Pirates of the Caribbean. But yeah, um, this movie was fucking disorienting. I'll tell you that. I I knew that it was going to be... Crazy. Saturated, congested, and filled with drug... With uh, drug use throughout the entire thing in Vegas. So I knew it was going to be fucking uh, uh, a twisted perception of reality, right? Yes. So... um, when I was watching it, I just got come home from work at like three in the morning. I was a little tired and out of it. And so watching this at like four in the morning by the time that I had started. Oh, geez. Fucking crazy. I couldn't four finish it in, in one sitting. It was exhausting. Not oh, saying yeah. that it was well, bad at all. Here's but- the thing. The book itself <laughs> is split into two chunks. One covering the Mint 400 and the other uh, covering the Policeman's Narcotics Associate, whatever it is. Holy shit. Um, but... Honestly, that's a good way to do it in two chunks. Yes. Because it is an exhausting... And this was my it's movie... It's nonsensical. It's very nonsensical, very disorienting. Yeah. Um, this was my movie of 2008, which means I watched it ad nauseum in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, very low point in my life. Uh, <laughs> different podcast. We're not here to make Different podcast. But, um, uh, like, it's... It, it's draining. It's hard to watch yeah. just one sitting of it. And I think, um, I think in a row, if you're not familiar with what's happening or you don't have the commitment to watch the entire film, this film can come off as that dumb film that stoners in high school love and like always think it's so great because oh man, they do all these drugs and it's so cool, right? Like when nah. I when I when I was first introduced to Fear and Loathing, that's how I knew of it. Yeah. It was just like that's how it's all, all the drugs. the dumb druggies who like love this film. Everybody's seen the picture of Johnny Depp as Hunter S. Thompson. It's like that is syn- synonymous with. Crazy like about this movie is that it's it's almost non consequential what they do. They like the, for sure. Very they, they get oh, yeah. away with small bubble everything. Right? What was it that he said? Like our only hope, or my only hope of uh, all these things that we've done is that we've done so much of it that no one will believe us, even if we yeah. said. Mm-hmm. And that's why, which is why the book sells. That's why the book sells. That's why it's published under fiction uh, because he's it's like, almost non believable. He's like journalism. Man, uh, if this is fact, like I'm gonna get arrested. Yeah. Um, so, and that's the thing, though, is like you know, I, I how much is real, how much is fake? Yeah, and I want to believe that majority. M- majority of it is real. I want to say, you know, Here's, I want to say at least eighty percent of it is real because he says ninety ten. I want to believe. I think the I want to believe at least eighty percent of it is real. But in all honesty, here's the thing: you can't trust somebody who yeah. does that much. Drugs. Raul Duke is Hunter S. Thompson. Doctor Gonzo is Oscar Zeta Costa. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, who disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Holy fuck, for real? Yeah. Do, and, does and, anyone have a clue of why? Uh, I, I think he his, disappeared. His Cartel wa- or something like that. His wife had a tiger sanctuary in Florida. <laughs> A lot of rumors. <laughs> That's a tiger I will say. Hey, oh, I, you you mentioned earlier the "too weird to live, too rare to die" quote. Yes, that was a. Something that Hunter penned for Oscar Zeta Acosta. I don't think it's part of the original book. What a beautiful book. thing! It's, to it's say. not. Um, in fact, it was something that Hunter S. Thompson cut out of the book, but uh, the the director just wanted to put because Hunter there S. Thompson goes. was the last of God's uh, prototype. 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 Holy shit! Incredible. I honestly think I think his his way with words, uh, and and we'll get to it. There's uh, a portion of the book that's called the the way um, the wave speech. The wave speech, which is such a it's interesting way it to read. Almost brings me to tears each time totally. I totally. And, and I wonder if, for me, the first time I read it, I was very moved by it too. But I wonder if it's because 
were from the Bay. And and he Yes, I he think that's very, part of it. Very clearly calls out things that are very synonymous to Bay Area experiences and tropes and just knowing talks like, about the highways and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he talks about cities and, and like the Bay Bridge. So the Bay Bridge to me is something that if you're not from the Bay Area, you just assume the Golden Gate Bridge is how everybody gets That's to San Francisco. That's the only Francisco. one. And no, I, there's the Carquinas, there's the Benicia Martinez. Well, to get to San Francisco, there's only two there's bridges. There's only the Golden Gate and the Bay. And the Bay Bridge. And, and But generally, all across the board, people just know the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, I've had family, from my, my sister-in-law's from Illinois, when they first came out here, they didn't know that there was two bridges. You know, I, I've, I've been with people who from all over the country who came to, to California, and they come to San Francisco, and, and then we're going here, and they're like, oh, I thought the bridge was red. And it's like, no, well, yeah. That's actually, one of them. The truth is, no real person drives on the Golden Gate Bridge because it's ridiculous. Either you got so much money, you live in Marin, then you don't have to go to San Francisco or you're a tourist. Like normal people, you know what I mean? Like yep. Yep. normal people don't go to the Golden Gate Bridge. So here's a guy who is a world-renowned author who has such crazy uh, harebrained ideas writing about things that are so um, intrinsic to, to our experience, to our life. Yeah, I read it and it makes me just like f- almost fall in love with this idea with the romanticism that authors have. It's also, yeah, it, it reminds me of James Joyce in Ireland. Yeah. Honestly, like, um, because he's so, like, he worked for Rolling Stone magazine, mm-hmm. which is, was central in San Francisco. I don't know if it still is. No, New York now. New York now. Um, but uh, even before, like, yeah, he, he lived in Aspen most of his life after however long. But um, uh, the, the whole thing with, like, the wave speech in particularly is his most uh, proud piece that he was ever pr- like. He was he the was most proud, proud of, of that. He's like, that's the the zenith of my writing. He would read that, right? That was yeah. like, he would go places and do live. He would like show up. Like at if someone asked him to read a piece of his work, he would and read it is, the rave, it is poetry. Like it is for, poetry. for, for uh, a not like a rhyming like Shakespeare poem, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is it is one of the most beautifully, beautifully written pieces and of writing. they only scratch the surface of it with <sighs> the movie. Like uh, Not even, wow. like they kind of like... Get together is playing. They rub their Come on, on people now, smile on your brother. During that part is when the wave speech is being spoken. His his San Francisco flashback. Gotcha. Which which when I he's writing in the when he's when he's writing in the nineteen sixty five. Another grounded moment I'd feel in comparison to the rest of the movie where it goes to the flashbacks and you see uh, bits and pieces of five years prior to that yeah. moment, right? Where he what? meets real Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Yes. Which, that's which blew fuck, your mind. I, that blew my mind. I thought that was just another dude that he just met in a bathroom. If, if I could say. What's up? Uh, before we go deeper, I would like to talk about the cameos that are in this film. Oh, dude. There's a lot of cameos. There's a lot yes. of... Uh, the cast list alone, to have this cast list in 98... Uh, the the wherewithal of where these actors were going in their yeah. in, the, in their career is is phenomenal. I'm glad you brought this up again. I don't even need to look at my notes because <laughs> apparently they're the same. But yeah, that was one of the things I definitely wanted to bring up. So I'll go ahead and, and okay. let you take this one. So um, the cast consisted of Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro as the main characters, Raúl Duke and uh, uh, Doctor Gonzo. Um, but the cameos consisted of Tobey Maguire, uh, Catherine Hellmond, Mark Harmon. Michael Jetter, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller fame. Yeah, I've, I've met both of them. Uh, Vern Schroyer, the tiny mini. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Sharippa, he was on uh, uh, The Sopranos as Bobby Bacala. Mm-hmm. Um, Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Lyle Lovett. I know y'all weren't too keen on who he was during our Very Bad Things pl- uh, podcast. He, he has a better character in this Everybody's one. Got I, I do want to, before you continue with yeah. that, 
just a quick little thing. I want to make a connection. Both movies that you've brought to this show are mishappenings in the city of Vegas. Yes. Uh, the next that's one you're bringing is Hangover? The, <laughs> this is the spiritual successor to the episode 44 classic, Very Bad You're going to keep plugging that throughout um, this episode. I, I want to say, growing up as a kid, when, I had two visions of Vegas. I had Frank Sinatra's Ocean's Eleven, and oh. I had Fear and Loathing in Las mm. Vegas. Those are my two, like, growing up as a, as a kid, as a little kid, as a kid, that's how, like, I imagined Vegas. I was like, there's no in-between. And then I saw that's it. George Clooney's Ocean's Eleven, and I was like, that makes wow. more sense. <laughs> um, uh, to continue, Flea. Flea is in this fucking film. <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson. Yep. Gary Busey. Troy yep. Evans. Who is Gary Busey? Gary Busey's uh, the cop. He's the, the highway cop. patrolman. The one that and, wants to kiss him. That's yeah. the and fucking that line, Gary Busey. I, I think you know that line was improvised. Um, uh, and Hunter S. Thompson hated that line. Hunter S. Thompson hated that line, but Terry Gilliam, the director, who's of Monty Python fame, was breaking out with laughter on set when he said, because he didn't hear it's him really say cut. It's really lonely and out here. It's really lonely out here. You see Johnny Depp like look back and kind of, he's my kind of breaks that, character at that point. My favorite part is that it cuts. Because yeah. in my mind, you probably kissed him. Yeah. He's oh, like, yeah. That's what I was and, thinking. And then in the book, it says, I felt raped. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to use that line after that. Um, yeah. So it, it made sense in context. Contextually, it made sense. Uh, Troy Evans, Christopher Maloney of SVU fame. Yeah. Uh, he's the, he is the he's bellhop guy. Yeah. With Listen, the bad you wig. fuzzy little shithead. He's also in. Man of Steel. We were talking about that for a brief second. I used that monologue in my acting on camera class. Interesting Which, fact. Really? The one from this movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, he I have been fucked over by a fair amount. Of whatever. <laughs> that, so that scene where Hunter S. Thompson like gets in the mind of the customer service worker, again, beautifully yeah. like executed. Here he is like, I wish I could hear what he really wants to say. And yeah. then you hear... I mean, we've all worked in customer service intrinsically. Like, we yeah. all understand that moment. We've all had good days and bad days. And on our worst day, we could absolutely destroy a customer. You, you give them the death stairs, but then you give them the death stairs, but then you you give a smile. Yeah. As you're smiling, you're like, no, you want this. Yeah, your this eyes you say want. it all. Yeah. Um, I would love to go get my manager. That was my favorite thing. Can you go get a manager? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Now I don't have to talk to you anymore. Uh, Christopher Maloney, mm -hmm. uh, Christina Ritchie. Yep. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton was in this film. Yes, I didn't Shout realize. Out. Rest it. in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, Harry Christina Dean Ritchie Stanton. is not a cameo. That's a full-on character. Yeah, yeah. She had pretty lines. Much. She had lines. She, had she got her name. sad card for this shit. Uh, yeah, she did have a name for this shit. <laughs> she Lucy drew um, in the sky with diamonds. Wait, what? Lucy in the sky with diamonds. That was her. Oh, was name. that her character's name? Yeah. Well, and she drew portraits of Barbara, Barbara Streisand, and there's like so ten of them. Fucking funny. She, yeah. what an interesting character with no, with Reason. nothing, with no sensical words, with yeah. no sensical lines. She is just whacked out this in the entire ten minutes that she's in the film. She didn't need to be there. A lot of these cameos and characters didn't need to be there, yeah. but the fact that they are there builds in this drug world this drug experience that he has like when you have a rough night out and you get hammered and you meet people you know when girls meet a group of girls in the bathroom or when guys m make best friends with the dude at the bar next to him you know like the next one what's the trouble you, oh, the next well, one you like wake up and exactly all this white stuff on my sleeve <laughs> exactly is so, such a weird scene in that bathroom scene they were. It would just. Clip. Hopefully, we scarred his life forever. It was or not whatever. smooth. It was. Uh, it was yeah. crazy. 
Uh, Lorraine Who? Newman and Ellen Barkin are the last ones. On. Ellen Barkin was the waitress. Uh, apparently, like she yes. was big for the movie The Diner or something like that. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. But I felt like uh, because of that, she had to get on the list. She was good. I, I was watching she this was on Amazon great. Prime, and Amazon Prime has the X-ray feature where you can see Incredible. who's in the scene. I don't know Incredible why that's not. Incredible feature. I don't know why that's not on every. Should be pro- on everything yeah. unless they have some sort of like patent on that technology. I'm sure Netflix can figure out a way to. Right, <laughs> uh, but yes, I saw. I had to see who it was, and that's who was playing the waitress. Did yeah. you say Tobey Maguire already? Tobey yes. Maguire was as the first cameo. Yeah, the Mickey Mouse uh, Nazi or whatever. It is. He was. <laughs> Weird. He made me feel hey guys, very uncomfortable, on? man. Did you, did was, you guys what, because he was bald and balding? Well, just smiling through the <laughs> discomfort, like just the that, way he looked. That would be you if you got picked up by like, like just like talking the about killing some the smiling. No, shark just, or just being like in finding yourself. I find that guy. Uh, if you were to find yourself, I finding thing. If you're a person who finds something, right? <laughs> Glad you got you it. An adventure. Find a hitchhiker on the side of the road, and you are gacked out. Yes. You know what? You know, forget it. I mean, I wouldn't even put myself in that situation where I'd be in the middle of the desert needing to be hitchhiking a hitchhiker. is such a bygone That's era. Scary. This movie has Ooh. two or three things that are that that to me scream bygone era. Hitchhiking. Yeah. Yes. The the carrying of his typewriter through everywhere is something that like oh. we've never experienced or will ever understand. And then like and then also the idea of. Uh, scary cops in Vegas because I've never been in a timeline where cops are scary in Vegas. They're almost always pretty cool as long as you're not an asshole. Like, and I'm a pretty big well because there's w- more wild shit happening in Vegas than whatever the fuck you're doing. Oh, and totally. Like, remember on cops whenever they'd be with like the Vegas cops or they'd yeah. be with like the the cops Harrison got County Sheriff. Didn't it? It did. Oh, Fucking dude. oh, because of the times. Yeah. <laughs> because of the times. But that was such a great. It, you know what? I can't again. Just like. PC in our last episode. It's hard defending it because I see all the problems. That was the beginning of this episode that we were actually talking about PC culture. Um, But yeah, this... this, Oh, I wanted to talk more about... uh, I want to talk about the drugs that they go through. Oh, yeah. Because Uh, there's a never ending list of everything we two that bags of grass 75 pellets of mescaline a whole uh four sheets of high powered blotter acid mm-hmm. a salt shaker half full of cocaine a whole galaxy of multicolored oh uppers downers screamers laugher also a quart of tequila a quart of rum a case of budweiser a pint two of cases r- of budweiser two cases of budweiser a pint of raw ether and two dozen emails. What I love uh, that about we needed that. all that for the trip. You were like Rain Man with this. Shit, you bro. are so good with it. Movie what I love. What I loved about that was that the suitcase that all of those contents were put in, it was specifically uh, compartmentalized. Yeah. So that it could fit each of these drugs, almost well, like Tetris. That's what druggies do, man. That's fucking yeah. wild to Not me. Not that it's- they needed all that for the trip, but once you get locked into a serious drug collection, the tendency is to push as far as you can. And they were just doing one thing back to back right oh, after another like, like it was nothing. In response to things, they'd be like, oh, man, you know, the mescaline's not working. Yeah. Let's do ether or like the mescaline yeah, was long gone. This yeah. isn't working anymore. Let's do more. And it's just like that's that's how people overdose. <laughs> when they introduce adrenochrome for the first time, yeah. adrenochrome. Um, they're saying, you know, it's so easy for Johnny Depp to just say like, OK, I'll fucking do it because Dr. Gonzo offers it. Aww. It's this thing that uh, it's tiny drops. But he almost warns him. He almost like yeah. gives it to him as a challenge. Like, he says, do it's it, gonna... but don't take too much. He says he prefaces too much, man. You correct me. Too much, too much. Oh, that's also a good Dr. Gonzo. Um, he What's Dr. Gonzo prefaces uh, that drug by saying it's going to make 
pure oh. ether or pure mescaline, mescaline. Yeah. seem it like like ginger beer. beer. Seem, yeah, ginger, ginger beer. beer. And then you see Johnny Depp, which is a non-alcoholic drink. Yes. Yeah. Johnny Depp is just looking at this adrenochrome, mm. smells it what a little bit. What is this shit? Never mind, it's absolutely pure. <laughs> Tastes so much. Yeah, he says, never mind, it's absolutely pure. The 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 side mouth throwaway lines of the of the narration, crazy is so perfectly. I, and, and I wish they would have. They kind of do keep it throughout the whole thing, but the whole thing in the beginning, especially when he picks up Tubby McGuire, of how the narration is somewhere between his thoughts I, and what he's actually saying. That I think was so perfectly done in the beginning. I wish they would have kept that throughout yeah. the movie. I wish that was something that kept coming back of him like thinking things and then them being like, "What?" because they heard him, or the opposite, him thinking something and then turning to them, expecting a response, mm-hmm. and it's not because it's all in his head. I wanted to read the first paragraph if y'all uh, were interested. Absolutely, I'm at it. So, uh, this is from the book, not the script. Um, we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. Great I remember, opening. yeah, great. Uh, line Just, opening line of anything. Uh, I remember saying something like, "I feel a little lightheaded, or, or a bit lightheaded. Maybe you should drive." And suddenly there was a tubble, terrible roar all around us, and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats, all swooping and screeching and diving around the car, which was going about a hundred miles an hour with the top down to Las Vegas. And a voice was screaming, "Holy Jesus! What are these goddamn animals?" Then it was quiet again. Damn. And the like, fact that that you, you mentioned in the beginning—that's not from the movie. No. That is right from the book, but the movie uses that direct line. Terry Gilliam knew what he was talking about. And the way that they're able to take these words and portray it on the screen is truly underrated art. The fact that this has 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, people don't understand how you take a, a book or a writer or an enigma like Hunter S. Thompson and you're able to refine it down to two hours and put it in a visually appealing manner. Uh, well, to a point, <laughs> a visually appealing manner. You know, like it's very, I think this movie is very underrated for at, that sense. At the time, people thought that there was no way anyone could adapt Fear and Loathing for the screen because of how and like you trippy said, they, it was. And like you said, they had tried a number of times before. Yeah, it was in development hell for at least 10 years. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's our generation's um, Confederacy of Dunces. <laughs> Wait, what? What? What is that? What's Confederacy of Dunces? Is that, that's a movie that it. was in a, development oh, hell. It, it was a book that was like they've tried a million times. Or to make Don it Quixote. Um, yeah. Interesting fact: in the movie, it's a case of beer. In the book, it's a case of Budweiser. Mm-hmm. I guess they didn't want to pay the licensing uh, for Budweiser. A couple of things they couldn't afford licensing rights on. So the other thing they couldn't afford licensing rights on when he's leaving Vegas, he's listening to the Rolling Stones. Yeah. It was supposed to be. Uh, Sym- sympathy for the devil yeah Woo-hoo. you know okay. that one Pleased yeah. to meet you. Uh, but uh, they couldn't afford the rights to that song they just got a different rolling stone song and, and, no it was bob dylan actually oh that's oh shit it was uh um, stuck inside of mobile with the memphis blues again i do want to take uh time to appreciate the music the soundtrack, oh, the soundtrack of this track. film very Note number two very on brand for vegas a lot of wayne newton for that vegas for I, that vegas i was gonna i wrote Soundtrack, 60s, comma, Vegas. Yes. So it's half 60s, yeah. half Vegas. You hear like Frank Sinatra. Which is Vegas. Uh, Which is Vegas. Uh, 60s is Vegas. Wayne Newton, for sure, well, Vegas. Like the birds. And what. Um, Tom Jones, a lot. Not on you. Perry Como. Yeah, Perry Como. Um, Donnie Marie Osmond. Debbie Dude, Reynolds. What was the Pendulette. song that was playing? <laughs> Pendulette's the longest running uh, act on Vegas. Penn and Teller. I believe it. What was the song that was playing when um, Dr. Gonzo was freaking out in the bathtub? Oh, that was uh, oh, White, White Rabbit. Rabbit. Oh. Jefferson Starship. That scene freaked 
me out. That song always freaks me out, and I I know I love Alice in Wonderland again. Just like I just like I said, how this song or this movie reminds me of like the the shitty high school druggies. That song also reminds me of like shitty dumb stoners where they're just like, Are you have you like smoked and listened to White Rabbit? Because if you like spark up right at the start of the song, it crashes perfectly, and it's just like. Yeah, nah, bro. I'm not gonna do that. That's uh, that's just a little too much for me. And like to the point of where Doctor Gonzo takes it way too far, and it's just like so fucking super high on it. Peaks. What if you to throw it? Yeah, kill me right at the peak of the music. Like it's such a such a extreme, right? Like like as we are all improv actors, we know like to keep going, keep going, keep going until you bring it to its zenith. That is truly the zenith of where that thought process goes to. That's like how can. This movie was crazy in the sense of we're constantly asking ourselves, how can it get any worse? Yes. You know, they're oh, crashing oh. every single room that they are renting out <sighs> to the point where it's flooding. It is disgusting, covered in I feel dry ketchup dry, and mustard. Yeah, I feel bad if I leave a hotel room. Hard yellow crust. I, I feel bad yeah. if I leave a hotel room and the bed's unmade, knowing that there's a maid coming in whose yeah. job it is to make the bed. I, I feel nothing. bad. Dude, and the fucking maid <laughs> that they- She was another they one. I forgot what it was. Poor girl. Oh, was she kind of- Hitting on uh, Dr. Gonzo, though? I she kind of was into it, though. Uh, I think there's a couple of money girls, was involved. There's she a was couple into the money. of girls who were into Gonzo's belly, bro. Um, I, I want to... Speaking on that, was Christina Ritchie's... Were they talking her up to be like a minor of some sort? Were she's they, definitely yeah, a minor. That's why sure. they had to get rid of her. Yeah. Because he did have intercourse with her. Uh, Are we thinking It's that? debatable. Debatable. It's highly implied that yes. Because it was already controversial in the movie. They're freaking hey, out. Hey, yeah. guys, guys, guys. He definitely fucked that child. <laughs> I think that's why. I think Gonzo himself was uh, like repulsed by the idea, even if he already did it. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? There's no way I totally fucked her. If he didn't do it, they wouldn't have been freaking out that way, guys. Yeah. He a hundred percent. In the book, it's much more implied that he did. Uh, in the movie, it's kind of more like that's that's the ten percent that he can't say for sure. Yeah, like that's the part of the book. Let's say the book is a hundred percent real. That's the part of the book where he has to be like, <laughs> yeah, this part's made up, guys. Totally, totally, wink, wink, totally. Fuck, dude. <laughs> Doctor Gonzo, straight up, Benicio del Toro, straight up looking oh. like Pablo Escobar. <laughs> By the way, great. Actor. Another note I made was uh for the for the actors Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro. Uh, they were both like heartthrobs at the time, and Terry Gilliam totally made them ugly in this yeah. film. Uh, well, Hunter S. Thompson shaved Johnny Depp's head for this film, wow. and Benicio Del Toro so put on 40 pounds for this movie. He was a, a thicky. For Makes sure. me feel okay with where I'm at in my life right now. He, and he could just lose it like this and yeah. just Think tackle of, other roles. Uh, uh, usual suspect Benicio Del Toro mm-hmm. compared um, to... I like to think of um, crazy the living daylights Benicio Del Toro. Mm. He is straight up 17 years old, and has mm. one line. Wow, young as hell. He dude. said he looks at Bond and he goes, "I hope you enjoy your honeymoon." <laughs> um, even though they looked hideous in this, Johnny Depp, certain angles, still really handsome. So man. that's the thing about handsome yeah. guys. It's like if you're a handsome guy, you're well, you're a handsome guy. Hunter Doesn't matter Thompson what you're at that time wasn't too bad looking, if I may say so. Yeah, I saw. Man. I was looking at interviews after watching this movie. He was like an all right looking dude. I think it's confidence. A lot I think, of yeah, I think at that point, if you look like Andres Thompson, you're a balding, no aging one, white man who does a whole bunch of drugs. <sighs> confidence. No one can rock a fisherman's hat, shorts, a sheep herder's jacket, 
uh, and a Hawaiian shirt. Hawaiian shirt. I love. I do love such how, a short dope outfit. Uh, I do love how when they, when they get the knee high socks mm-hmm. and like flip flops or whatever, like Hunter S. Thompson. I do like when they get the call from when to leave Hollywood to go to Vegas, and he's like, "Finding the drugs in the shirts were easy." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, it's just such a silly thing to me. Where where As he turning. had to go out. And yeah, I'm going to go buy mescaline and pot and coke and grass and I'm going to buy all this shit. And also, I got to stop at Tommy Bahama. Yeah. And pick up a couple of Hawaiian shirts. And like him, like even. Because they're going to Vegas. Renting yeah. the car was crazy. The red too. shark and this the white whale. This is how I test the suspension. Yeah. He's like yeah. super nonchalant about wow, his he wackiness. Just, he just ran over that two, two foot cement. <laughs> and you didn't even care. Yeah, that's how I checked. Yeah, that's how I checked the trend. Quick. His responses actually make me really like jealous. That wit is what you only get through, from what I hear, cocaine. The whole thing of like him sitting in the car. A couple of times this happens where he's in the car and there's a group of people that have formed around him. And they're all just like, what the fuck are you doing? Get the fuck out. You can't park here. And his whole thing is just like, I need to go get more hammers. And then he just like drives. Off. And it's just like that is such a so, uh, another bygone era because you couldn't do that in today. If you were that high and you, and everybody's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" and you took off, videos, pictures, cameras, yeah. the police, everybody, you're fucked. Like that is a bygone era. You can't get away from being being oh, that times high anymore. Have changed for sure. There have been many isms that I've picked up from this film, and one of them is, "Man, this is a really nice pen you got here." Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Like I will say that whenever I that come is across, a really nice like pen, one actually. of those like G twenty pens. You know what I'm talking about? G two. G2, yeah. Yeah, the inkjet. In fact, I have one in my back, but those are the only pens I like to use. And but he I'm drives like, off with it. Yeah, like, yeah, you stole my pen! Um, That's really shitty, because I have a nice pen. My brother does, too. Those, man, my brother really gets nice into weird pen. things. He was into, like, um, tobacco pipes and uh, pens, and so he got me a really nice pen that I have, and it's one of the, if someone drove off with that pen, I would be pretty pissed. Oh, yeah. I mean, like... But again, it's stupid that somebody paid more than $2 for a pen. If you have a really nice pen, I steal though, if you're you signing, can get them anyway. If you're signing a signature on a contract worth more than $1,000 and you hand me a Bic, I, I'm, I'm going to be pretty upset. Really? Honestly. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm buying a car and you're handing me a, a pen, you know what I mean? Like a, a Bic nothing pen, I'm going to be kind of like, wow, dude, I'm handing you a lot of money for this a car. Gel pen? Yeah. Uh, well, a gel well, pen? A hang sparkly on, Hang on here, Christian. Pen. That's different. Better be a goddamn quail quill. It better be green. <laughs> it better be lime green. Better have some Slightly of those metallic smears. speckles in it. The best yeah. thing you can do when signing a contract is using a quill from a Pegasus, and you use your own blood as <laughs> ink. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay. All right. Now you're on board. Now you get it. See, <laughs> I knew I'd wing, get you eventually. From the wing of a Pegasus. Yeah. What? What? You can't get. What are you going to get feathers from on the other part of a Pegasus? It's dick. No feathers on the dick of a Pegasus. Oh, I know. Bro. I know. It's just so so oddly specific. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone <laughs> requesting for a quill from a mythological animal like that. Man, well, I've shaved unicorn horn to get my horn up. That's why we. <laughs> do, that's why we don't have rhinos, bro. That's yeah. the reason why we don't All have rhinos. All the fucking poaching, dude. White rhinos or whatever. I think they, they put away. I think they kind of uh, put away like two white rhinos to really no, save it from extinction. I think they have a they no. Tried. Is it done? They had Is one it? female left and she died. Fuck. The oh, world. but you know what? The Galapagos <laughs> turtles. <laughs> the the Galapagos. What? They're coming back. See, like, it's such a lonely. George story. died, here's, but here's, then there was some eggs somewhere. Here's my thing, guys. Who gives a fuck? Why is it my Amazon package here right now? Right? That's what's on the forefront of our minds, right? I don't give a fuck, man. It, don't give oh. a fuck. Uh, <laughs> speaking of that, not related at all. What's up? Um, I would like to, uh, I feel like it'd be a sin not to mention this. 
um, when talking about fear and loathing. The the first thing you see um, on screen that isn't file footage is a quote from Dr. Johnson. Mm. He who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. Oh, at the beginning. Which yeah. is very right. much like the Nietzsche quote of uh, he who looks into abyss must be careful. For it's the abyss a, or Oppenheimer you. saying, I am death, bring, ender of worlds of earth. Is that one applicable here? <laughs> I think we're just saying well, quotes at this point. I also wrote Fear and Loathing. We get it, David. You're really smart. But, fear and Loathing um, in Las Vegas, the degradation of the American dream. That was mine. So the term Fear and Loathing apparently wasn't like a common term until no. this book came out. It's such an interesting grouping of words. I love it so much. Fear like when in that, that entire What does it mean? Like the scene. breakdown of it. You're afraid and you hate it. But to loathe, <laughs> but to loathe something is more. You than hate just it hate. with all the energy in your soul. It's, to me, I think when someone's when t- if you're, it's like okay, something so you poetic a, about that. Have you ever loathing. had a bird no, get trapped in your tent while camping? That's no, no. The chances, the chances <laughs> are so small. I have a better chance of catching another Clefairy when well, I go home. <laughs> one time going camping. We trapped a bird. And how many times have you gone camping? Uh, five. Purposefully? You were Purpose- like I purposely chasing it around camping. with a tent? You didn't have a net. You well, just had like a, a big a... tent to grab it with. <laughs> the tent was already well, made? We left it open and we like left a... Uh, 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 bird food. No. <laughs> You're a... trying to trap it. A baby bird. Oh. It's a baby bird. You <laughs> <laughs> were holding it ransom. A Kirkland brand poppy seed muffin. Kirkland brand oh, baby. Oh, man, um, you're going to get more than a bird with the you're getting a Kirkland getting brand a muffin, we, dude. You're getting a baby. Wait, you're wait. fucking getting me. We watched the bird like hop into the tent, and as soon as we saw it in the tent, my cousin zipped it down, and the bird's mouth went as wide as the Grand Canyon. Of course. And And it's like, that is fear and loathing. It's like, why am I in this situation? Get me out of this situation. But... Did it eat the muffin? Uh, before we closed the tent, yeah. You before know what, you closed, and then the it tent. was done. Okay. It took a bite and that threw was the it American out. Drink. You ever like have something in your mouth and something crazy happens? So you like, should I swallow or should I spit it out? I don't like know if I've been in that situation. It's like, I've been in a position where like I took a bite of a burger. And it's it was, like when you're getting roadhead and then the brakes lock and you're like, oh no, do I swallow or spit? <laughs> well, that's what she's thinking. That's what she said. Of course, of course. I mean, no, I mean, no, no, no. no. That's what you're thinking. I love, oh. I love how when he brings a bro in, your first thought is, I'm the person that says it. Oh, should I spit? Should I, <laughs> should I spit? Bit. Great fucking bit. Speed bump. Should I swallow? <laughs> <laughs> we can do this all day. <laughs> I also like. I also like. Sorry, sorry, we're just gagging on dicks here. We we enjoy our time. <laughs> I also liked how uh, when they first entered, like the I, I want I want to say it's when they first entered the flamingo. Um, uh, Hunter or Raoul says this is was Bob's Bob Hope's turf, Frank Sinatra's Spiro Agnew's. So mm-hmm. that kind of gives you a feeling of what like who he holds in honor. Not not necessarily. I think it's the opposite of who he despises because. It's a place that doesn't is not welcoming to his type, the druggie, um, hmm. like Bob Hope, Frank Sinatra, very uh, Vegas, very yeah, but, normie. But Sinatra and Agnew. I mean, Agnew is the vice president to Nixon, who he hated. Hated all fun things, but um, he hated all fun things. <laughs> but but when Gonzo leaves, he does a little Nixon throwback. So so you know, yeah, maybe he doesn't hate. Maybe he loves Harry Anslinger. It was crazy when when uh, Doctor Gonzo left, and I was like, "Oh, are there we gonna goes. focus completely on?" I was like, 
okay, I could calm down for a little bit. I could kind of regroup kind because Doctor Gonzo was the one. Car chase. Gone, Fuck, so. dude. Um, this this movie was absolutely crazy. Like, I'm still kind of stressed from it. I'm glad that I split it up into two, two because chunks. in one sitting, I think I just would have shat myself. Oh no, that's part of the movie, bro. Shitting yourself is part a, of the movie. So many bodily fluids in this movie. Like, how many times did Benicio del Toro throw up? Dude, I fucking hated oh, it. The scene when he's crying. That's okay. two method. My favorite Crazy. scene is when they're in the car and Benicio del Toro yelling at the lady oh, in the car. Oh, I do love that though. And there's vomit, yellow oh. curry vomit all over the side of the white car. It's disgusting. And he's taking like rips from this bottle of tequila or something and spitting and screaming at this car. And this poor couple is trying so hard to like keep it cool, keep it cool, keep it cool. It's and then Vegas, they, honey. It's and Vegas. then the guy finally snaps. And it's and then we don't even see like what happens. No. From them. That's just where the end of the scene. It's just he pushed this man, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, to the absolute breaking point, mm-hmm. and we don't even get to see why. There was a point today when I was finishing finishing up the movie where I was hungry, so I went downstairs. I paused the movie, went downstairs. Oh, no. I went and got salami. Was super fucking hungry. Had the salami ready in front of me, in front of the TV. Watch the movie. Press play. And the next scene was Benicio yeah. del Toro <laughs> throwing up yeah. food after he brought up the red I salmon. I want to get some red salmon, man. This is not an eating movie. No. I've made also, that mistake I, a couple I will of say times. this about the direction of that scene when they're like saying goodbye to Lucy. Um, was like the way it's framed, it looks like they're getting married, but then it focuses in on the, the rear view mirror and you see that she's just getting into a taxi cab. It's like, ah, mm. misdirection. Wow. I didn't even think about it like that. I was so wow. just like. When I watched that, I was so just like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. Like, there's so many times where the movie kind of coasts on the energy of the last scene where you miss a couple of the setups in the new scene where you're still trying to figure out what the fuck you just watched. I felt, and I think that's where I felt tired in this film. This movie doesn't. It's exhausting. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, I'm no, very not. peaceful. Whoa, whoa, yeah. relax, I'm at peace. Relax, relax. Uh, no, this movie doesn't have a linear progression in terms of like build up. It just no. starts at fucking level eleven. It's, it's truly that Z that that's on his forehead, that's on the mirror. Whereas Memento was like a horseshoe kind of idea. This movie is just a a zigzagging Z yeah. all over and over and over again. Very free. It's like there was little to no restriction. It seemed like in its. Writing very much like it, it was uh, analogous or symbolic of his writing, right? Agreed. It, yes. Uh, boundaries. There are no boundaries. It's purely subjective because now this is all perception based. Like when you are uh, tripping out on a drug, no one else is experiencing what you're experiencing except for yourself. Same with his writing. Very subjective. And so after at, at first, what I was going to initially rate this movie was going to be very not very low but like three out of five probably but now i kind of want to give it a, a four out of five giving it uh that it's based on hunter s thompson and yeah. like what it what this movie really means well like and like we said it's tough going into this film with zero knowledge yeah it, it almost it almost is a counterintuitive thing going into this film with no knowledge because it almost becomes a nonsensical hair over cheech and chong you know what i mean like yeah. you kind of lose it at that point yeah um but I am glad that you that you like enjoyed it. I, I I rate this film. I mean, if we're at that point, but uh, I would I've always thought that this is a five out of five film. People need to see this film, even if you don't understand it on the first watch. You should watch this film just to understand that there's people in this world who live 
a hundred percent different life than you can. And here's somebody who's able to encapsulate that lifestyle, not just put it on paper, but put it on the screen. Uh, and, and for you, Christian, I think you should look into his book that he wrote about the hell's angels Yes, because it is phenomenal, bro. Like you got to read this book. I'll check it out. Yeah. It's so good. He ditched them once they beat the shit out of him. As anyone would. Correct me if I'm wrong, David. He, like, wasn't even there intending to write a book. He just, like, started hanging out at one of the bars with these people, right? And then just kind of got looped in. Uh, Yeah, I think at first, like, he's just... Maybe in the back of his mind. But he didn't go, like, like, I'm going to find the Hells Angels. Like, he was working on some sort of story. And then after a while, he's like, oh, I guess I'm writing about the Hells Angels. I guess I'm doing this. Yeah, I guess I'm living with the Hells Angels for I've been on the road with them for, like, two months now. I guess I'll... Stay with the Hills Angels for a little bit That longer. sounds like something Hunter like, S. Thompson would do. Just a great Hunter S. Thompson impression. Yeah, like dude. It. You should really be him for Halloween, but, you know, I rest in peace Halloween this year. Uh, oh. Sorry, sorry. It's, it's canceled. canceled. Yeah. You heard uh, it here first, kids. It's canceled. Uh, what were you going to say candy. before I canceled Halloween? <laughs> that I love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. Was I saying something? I feel like you were, and I just... Uh, you might have been quoting the movie. Impolitely, I, there's a lot of notable quotables in this film. Yeah, is there any it? big? I mean, David, clearly this movie is very important to you. Is there yes. any big part that you really want to get? Yeah, get? before we end it here, please uh, let us Cause know because we're gonna hit and now. Uh, just kidding, gotcha. ah, ah, yeah, that's called yeah. comedy. All right, for all y'all Welcome. reading at home, uh, on page 66, very uh, appropriate for uh, this film and this movie. And I wish it had one more six. Six sixty six for those with Hell the, yeah. with those uh with the Hunter S. Thompson uh omnibus of his work. Um, <laughs> uh, this is the thing that he would uh read whenever asked to read something of his. Oh, so beautiful. Um, it's called the Wave Speech. Um, he has enjoy Christian. He's the most proud of this work. So. Are you gonna read it like Hunter? S. I will Thompson? try to. My, oh, I will try my best yes. to read it as Hunter S. Thompson. Fuck yes. Um, this is a dream come true. Don't at me if I sound off. But at him if he does sound really good, because I, I venture to bet he will. DC Raccoon. That's Raccoon with one C. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> Strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas. Five years later, six, it seems like a lifetime, or at least a main era. The kind of peak that never comes again. San Francisco in the middle of the 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something. Maybe not, in the long run. But no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time in the world. Whatever it meant. History is hard to know because of all the hired bullshit. But even without being sure of history, it seems entirely reasonable to think that every now and then the energy of a whole generation comes to a head in a long, fine flash, or for reasons that nobody really understands at the time, and which never explain, in retrospect, what actually happened. My central memory of that time seems to hang on one or five or maybe forty nights, or very early mornings, when I left the Fillmore half-crazy and, instead of going home, aimed the big 650 lightning across the Bay Bridge at a hundred miles an hour, wearing L.L. Bean shorts and a Butte sheep herder's jacket. Beautiful. Booming through the Treasure Island Tunnel at the lights of Oakland and Berkeley and Richmond, not quite sure which turnoff to take when I got to the other end, always stalling at the toll gate, too twisted to find neutral when while I fumbled for change. But being absolutely certain that no matter which way I went, I would come to a place where people were just as high and as wild as I was. No doubt about that at all. 
There was madness in any direction, at any hour. If not across the bay, then up the Golden Gate, or down 101 to Los Altos or La Honda, you could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic and universal sense that whatever we'd doing was right, that we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting, on our side or theirs. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark. That place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. Can I just say something about that quote? Um, to me, my interpretation of that uh, speech is that the middle 60s, especially the middle 60s, um, was a time of cultural and political revolution. Uh, we were just a handful of years from the assassination of one of our presidents. We were in the middle of a, a non-winnable war. Um and just a couple of years from two other highly important assassinations of RFK and MLK, um, as well as like 1969 with the Manson slayings, like that was the death of the love revolution that was going on in the 60s. Um, and, yeah. and the way that, uh, in my opinion, the way that Hunter S. Thompson views that is the wave in like 69 was starting to rescind. For sure. And then we were at a low point again politically. I, I, I akin it to that idea of a loss of innocence. And yes. I think a lot of people attribute the, the, the hippie movement of the 60s and this free love movement of how great it was and how forward thinking these people could be and, and how awesome it would be, you know, if we could all just kind of love each other. But the, but the truth to me, and I think and think the way of what that encapsulates for me is that loss of innocence that the, that, that the hippies went through. That there was a point in their lives where they sat around and they thought they were really actively making a change. The things we do, the things we say, they matter. They're making a difference. And then as time went on, they killed their heroes. They destroyed their beliefs. They cut their fucking hair. They didn't know what they believed in anymore. And they lose it. And now all that's left is maybe a watermark in the most sinful city in the world of Las Vegas. I think what Hunter S. Thompson encapsulates for me is somebody who lived through the 60s of this free love era and can look at what... A destruction of, I think the antithesis of the 60s free love era is the 80s make money, fuck bitches, yes. let's, let's do coke go, and go kill attitude. shit. Yeah. So the true death of innocence and, and, and this idea of free love was, the, was a slow, painful death throughout the 70s where they're like, yeah, you think you made a difference, but not only are we going to destroy what you believe in, but we're going to get you to come onto our side and show you how cool it is to make money and do blow. Yeah. And I think, um, Hunter S. Thompson will always be that shining light of, no, we were doing something. We were on the right path. We were so close to making a difference. Well, one of the reasons why I uh, came to you guys being like, I want to talk about this um, this film before I have to disappear into the woods of Shinkletown. A made-up city. <laughs> um, one of the reasons is that I feel like we're in a similar situation right now. Totally. With the yes. whole BLM movement and like even just uh, 2020's political atmosphere. Um, whether you're uh, on the left or the right or whatever. Yeah. Um, I feel like we are 
on the crest of that high and beautiful wave again. And how far can this wave go this time before it starts pulling back? For sure. I, I tend to be a little more of a pessimist. I mean, Christian knows a lot of my beliefs on things, and, I, and I'm very uh, short-sighted and, and pessimistic on the ideas. But will I will, what I will say that makes our generation different than the generation that was in the 60s is for the first time in history, a single person's voice actually can make a difference. A single person's voice on Twitter can reach millions of people. A single person's voice on YouTube or the internet can change the views and thought processes of millions and millions of people all over the world. And I think that might actually help us make a lasting change in this world that we can see very clear mistakes that, that have been made. If it's in the right hands. I mean, you know. Uh, correct. If it's, if in, it's the, in the right but hands. But that goes, a uh, sword is double-bladed, right? A double-edged. You, you, you got to use it right. I mean, yeah. it, power and responsibility. Dude. Correct. And, like and come hand in hand. And I yeah. find it interesting that... Um, the the hippies of the '60s are now the boomers of today, and uh, yeah, I say kind this, of the 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 establishment. Uh, of course, I say this all the time. The very same people who came up with the phrase "Don't trust anyone over 30, which maybe now I'm starting to question. Oh, no, no, um, no. Uh, Don't trust but, me, guys. But but that whole idea, like these these people who came up with this idea of peaceful protests, sit-ins. Uh, don't trust anybody over 30 tune in tune out drop out you know all these things that like we kind of hold as our own truths in our own way the people who we're fighting against are the very same people who created that and if they're too blind to see why we're doing this and we're too blind to see our similarities in them i think it hurts us on both fronts to sit here and say we have no similarities with the boomer generation which there are far and few in between um but there are some and for us to not acknowledge that it's not going to get us anywhere and that's my soapbox <laughs> I think uh, I think that's a good way to really to end this episode. I think uh, I think it was great that you guys uh, that you recited yeah, the that wave reading speech. was incredible. I yeah. think that's something that was uh, that's very important to have brought into this episode. I didn't realize going into this that uh, this movie is very charged. It's very charged and it meant it means a lot. You know, uh, to yes. For a certain time period and to uh, for a group of people and during this time especially, how it is analogous. Uh, so I do want to thank you for bringing this movie to us. Um, yeah. Is there how what would you rate this movie? A five out of five. Five out of five, of course. Yeah. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Thumb uh, out of thumb. Oh, thumb out of thumb. Yeah. Hang on a second. <laughs> We're onto something. Thumb out of thumb. What's that? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I already said five out of five. My best person on set is Hunter S. Thompson. He was actually on set for this film. Yeah. Without him, he's not, you know, we wouldn't have such an incredible. If you have the monies and the means, I suggest buying the Criterion version of Fear and Loathing because there is an audio commentary where he That's the interesting. He talks yeah. over. And if you have time to read, read the book, guys. Read Honestly, the book. If it's you're... only. Not even 200 pages. Yeah, it doesn't it's seem like too long. And the text thing is super small. If you're 15 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old, and you're trying to figure some Please shit out, this is, this is one of the books. You, you should for read sure it. read that. A school's not going to have you read. Don't necessarily condone drug use. No, but, but no, of course not. You gotta, you gotta. I learn. haven't done any, but I was super affected by this film. And he's probably more smarter than I am. Me? Oh, David, you're a very smart individual. I'll tell this you. This was oh. a, this is a great episode because it's very high upper echelon thought. That I don't know if we have many episodes that get this way. Yeah, I would actually like to say one last thing. It's a Frank Zappa quote. Of course, of course and it's Frank, a Frank Zappa, Zappa always quote. comes uh, back. Because the grateful, yeah, okay. I, I, I have no idea when this is going to air, but um, it's a Frank Zappa quote. He, he says, you're 18, get the spoon out of your nose, get the needle out of your arm, get the beer out of your mouth, and vote. You know what I mean? Go mm -hmm. out and vote. Register and vote like a beast. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. 
That's it. This will come out before November. So for all of you daddies sure. listening out there, really, no, your 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 voice means something. You know, Alejandro said there's a lot of power in one person's voice via social media, but there is still a lot of power that you have as an American citizen, and it is your right to vote. And really, you do. We want to strive for a better future. And not just America. This podcast is worldwide. So for yeah. democracy, vote for democracy. Well, can't democracy. be that bad. Can't be that bad. <laughs> said every person in the Soviet Union. Yep. <laughs> I got the history books right here, and it says in the their quotes, it can't be it can't that be. bad. ICB, they would hashtag it, ICBTB, yeah. actually, which is the crazy part. <laughs> crazy. Hashtags didn't even exist. Um, yeah, you can follow me at Christian as Asthma. You can follow me at call underscore me, Jesus. I guess you could follow me at DC Raccoon. Wait, are you like dis- are you getting rid of it soon or? Well, I mean, I don't really post anything. He's not really on it, but it's yeah. okay. Well, it's a way to yeah, meet David. David has great thoughts. If you want to like challenge him, if he said anything incorrect, do it in a public uh, forum. Check yeah. out Consider This Pod. Uh, yes, the Creative Chip. Yes, um, uh, and is it? And here's why. Is that and here's yes. why pod? Yeah, yeah. Just, as I you can tell, David listens to our show. Yeah. yeah, and here's why underscore pod. Yeah, um, yeah. Check check this out or uh, YouTube. Um, subscribe <laughs> YouTube. to our YouTube channel. YT, subscribe to our Apple Podcast. Smash that like button. Give us five stars on iTunes. Yeah, you know. Kiss us in public. Otis, stop kissing me. Otis, Otis, stop kissing me. Hashtag Otis, stop kissing. All right. Hashtag Otis, stop kissing me. Can't be that bad.